Yes, uh, we have here a letter from a lady who writes and says, uh, Mr. Shepard, is it true that uh, fish is a brain food? Uh, yes, ma'am. You've come to the right authority on that question. I can irrevocably state without uh, fear of contradiction that fish is a brain food. And, uh, in fact, I take my own case in point to, to prove this uh, thesis that... Uh, there has never been a week uh, that's gone by that I haven't consumed at least 10 to 17 pounds of fish. And uh, all of you know what this has produced in my case. So, madam, I would like to say, yes, fish is a brain food. And thank you for your question. And uh, we would like to continue on in further vein of this type. Yes, indeed. One cannot escape inescapably. One cannot escape inescapably. The fact that uh, culture is an important and integral part of man's ever upward climb up the vast pyramid of uh, eternity. Hmm. And uh, it's been a hell of a climb, there's no question about it. That it wasn't long ago, historically, friends, when the first man crawled out of the mud with webbed feet and low beetling brows, heavy prognathous jaw, and uh, a dim understanding of the world around him. And uh, slowly we have climbed up the ladder of uh, eternity till we've reached the point where a man now has a vague understanding of that which lies around him. His jaw is noticeably less prognathous. Uh, his brow doesn't beetle as much as it did. However, many of us still do have webbed feet. And uh, it is that subject that we're going to take up tonight. Man's eternal fight against the vast, overwhelming forces of time, the overwhelming forces of eternity, and the unfriendly forces of nature itself, including thunderstorms, bad stomach, and eyes that tend to get weak.
That was nice. Did you like that? That's real good. <clears throat> uh, for those of you out there that, excuse me, we're now getting a call from uh, Arthur Fiedler. Yes, sir. That was almost as good as Harold's Super Service. Well, it was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I do that occasionally at times to clear the brain. Uh, speaking of that, we also have a letter here from a lady who says, Mr. Shepard, would you uh, please uh, tell us uh, your favorite commercial? Now, would you please uh, prepare that same uh, uh, bit of culture? I'll, I'll give you the cue there, Marty. Hold it for a second. No, the same thing we just played. Same one. That's all. It's very easy. Now, uh, we would like to answer that question as directly as possible. Uh, but to this point, my favorite commercial was the lady with the blue water. You know, the, the lady that comes into the house, and she's in, apparently in somebody's john. And she looks out at the screen. She says, oh, blue water. You've seen that lady. And this little fellow, this poor little guy, is found in the back of the john in a rubber rowboat. Three-inch high guy. And he's rowing away there in the blue water. That, up to this point, had been my favorite commercial. Of course, they kind of killed it for me when he got an outboard motor. You notice he's got a Johnson outboard now, and everything's changing pretty soon. He'll be in a little Chris Craft, and the next thing you know, a little Egg Harbor Cruiser, putting around with John there. So everything's kind of going downhill. So, lady, to answer your question, I'm sorry I've been taking up your time like this, but to answer your question, my favorite commercial is the commercial, uh, let us paraphrase it, uh, that, you know, that wonderful little uh, symposium that is being held apparently around the country by the Ding Dong Aspirin Man. It's one of my favorite commercials, and I've always liked to somehow get invited to one of those uh, little press conferences, those little symposia that he holds on aspirin. So please, if you will, ladies and gentlemen, the ding-dong aspirin man is now on hand to answer questions and to clear up misconceptions about ding-dong aspirin, one of the great, wonderful products of our time. And now here he is, the ding-dong aspirin man. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's take the first question from the floor. Hey, uh, is it true, aspirin man, that uh, when you take an aspirin and you mix it with a Coke, you really can get a high on? I mean, it's really groovy. Uh, yes, uh, that is true up to a certain point. Of course, uh, our aspirin contains only the ingredients which enable you to really fling a dinger. Uh, others and less uh, certainly efficacious products do not contain this uh, particular ingredient, uh, and it's been medically proved. Uh, next question, please. Uh, aspirin man, uh... Is it true that uh, that the uh, aspirin is kind of great in the morning when you mix it with uh, with uh, tomato juice when you got a hangover? Huh? Uh, is that true? Uh, yes, uh, that is quite true. The aspirin, when crushed, the ding dong aspirin, particularly when crushed and mixed with orange or tomato juice, will produce an efficacious uh, solution to your hangover problems. Uh, next uh, question, please. Uh, uh, hey, aspirin man, I understand that. Uh, if you eat enough aspirin, that your ears will turn green. True. Uh, our product contains some of the very rare ingredients which cause your ears to turn green at certain points. However, our less uh, uh, less competitive products do not contain this rare quality. And I would like to suggest, though, that you try some at your neighborhood grocery store. Try some the next time you're throwing a party. And now, next question. If I sit in with this crowd again with my nose flute, Marty. Uh, 
hold it, hold it. So you see, there's a lot of problems out here that you have to solve before you get it. It's Friday, isn't it? <laughs> All right, George. One good thing about being uh, on the air between the, you know, holidays like this, you know that there aren't more than three people listening. And uh, certainly none of them are here at the station. That's wonderful. Kind of like that. Yeah, well, there's an old expression, which I have forgotten, unfortunately, about the, when the... Uh, what is the expression that says when the rats are away, uh, what will play? I don't know either. Just on the tip of my tongue, but that's the trouble. All the important stuff in life I have forgotten. I, You know, I, I never have remembered Pearl Harbor. I keep trying to remember it. And only twice last month was I able to seriously remember the Maine. But outside of that, I can't remember what day it is generally. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's vague. It's, uh, speaking of vagary, uh, you are listening to WOR New York. You know what my favorite uh, tel my favorite uh, call letter is in the country? There's a station that has K-O-O-K. -O -O -K. Where? Why? Well, if you knew the management, you'd know that answer, friend. Hit the button there, please. You know, you know, you know, like that call letter, K-O-O-K? I don't know whether that describes the station or your listeners. <laughs> you mean you don't know what K.O.K. says? The kind of dealer that you look for wants to do much more for you. The kind of guy who thinks that you are number one. Like a friend that you can turn to, like a friend who's here to stay. The kind of dealer that America wants to be. Number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. Give me a little echo chamber there, please. <clears throat> Just practice and we get the. Oh, that's a hello test. Hello, hello, hello. My God, it's all working here. Hello test. It certainly is. Understand they put a new can of alcohol out the transmitter now. This is a, yeah, we, we run this transmitter off a of sterno, in case you're curious how it runs. You know, that was after that mess when we didn't pay our phone bill and all that. Hey, uh, we have a note here uh, for Kasha. You know who Kasha is. Ivandi Carlo played her in the movie. And uh, it's just wonderful, Kasha, the sinister Eurasian slave girl. And the kasha is a centuries-old popular food staple of Eastern Europe. And a healthful one, too. I'm quoting it here because kasha, wolf's kasha, that is, is made from golden brown buckwheat groats that are filled with all kinds of vitamins and minerals, plus a generous supply of protein. I just dump it in there. Now, don't ask me what a groat is. We've gotten into all kinds of ideological hassles over that. A groat, I understand now, is a native of a particular portion of Bulgaria. They're short, swarthy people with a rich musical heritage. And that means wolf's kasha goes great with meat, fish, or chicken. Or even by itself as a truly unusual dessert or breakfast food. And it can be served in soups and vegetables. You can make it into popsicles by freezing it. And it works great. You mix it up in your mixer, pour in a can of beer, a little Benedictine, and you call it... What's that, honey, please? 
Yes, that's right. It's, it's a country, Croatia. Or the, the natives of Croatia are called groats. And that's what they make wolf's kasha out of. Don't ask me. I don't know. I've never visited the place. I have been in Albania, though. However, we'll send off a wolf's kasha recipe book with unique hints on how to prepare kasha in a wide variety of exciting ways and a wide variety of main courses. That's wolf's kasha. That's spelled with two Fs. Wolf. Like to wolf down your kasha. The way uh, Hunrath the Ball did it. The way Eric the Red ate his kasha, slobbering all over the place, and look what it made him, a gigantic barrel-chested barbarian. The world's oldest unknown health food, Wolf's Kasha. That's spelled uh, K-A-S-C-H-H-H-A, umlaut. Wolf's Kasha. Hey, we have a special announcement to make here tonight. We've been getting all kinds of calls into the station Calls, just the word, calls. We've been getting in here. Calls, too. We've got a few of them. One guy's got the morning trick here. Yeah. I, I used to do... Did I ever tell you about the spot I used to do for chickens when I worked out in the in the boondocks there? And, uh, well, of course, I'm in the big city boondocks now. Yeah, that's right. This is a big apple. All you guys out there in the minor leagues. Ha, ha, ha. We're here. You're there. <laughs> and, of course, it's a matter of talent. I mean, uh, you got it, you'll make it. If you don't, well, you might as well stay out there in Croatia and spin them uh, Rolling Stones records till hell won't have it, you know. Do the best you can. You you do the best you can, I'm sure. But uh, we've made it, and we're here in the big time here in the Big Apple. Yes, that's right. Overlooking historic and picturesque 6th Avenue, better known as the Avenue of the Americas. And it is picturesque. Sometimes you wander knee-deep in Thunderbird bottles. And, uh, yes, I understand that 70 was a good year for Thunderbird. A superb year. And uh, it's a, a, an insouciant little wine. Blow the top of your head off. And uh, But, however, uh, that may not uh, be your thing on this weekend. And that certainly isn't my thing on this weekend. We like to keep this program on a, on a stable plane. And I, I, uh, yes, that's right, a stable plane. We have a special announcement here for all of you stable plane fans that... Uh, the birds are still for sale here. Got a bird spot here. This is probably the only time... You, and no, I didn't tell you, though, about the time I saw the chickens, did I? This is not the first time I've dealt with the aviary. No, sir. Now I'm selling wind-up birds. <laughs> Thank God how the mighty have fallen. I'm selling wind-up plastic birds. They got a little... Yeah, they got a little crank that comes out of the tail. And you just wind this thing up, and it takes off, flaps its wings, and flies around the Christmas tree. At, uh, sometimes they'll fly as long as 600 feet. And they're, they're, they were invented by a mad Frenchman in France, of course. It took them three years to invent this thing. It has 16-inch wingspan, and you let one of these little devils go in your living room on Christmas Day, and you're going to cause riots. The old man, after all night long drinking that cheap wine that he drank the night before, is going to go out of his bird when he sees that bird fly past him, a plastic bird. Well, we're getting out of the, off the subject. None of you are listening in here, so I better finish it. If you'd like to order a plastic bird that flies, you just send a check or money order to... And by the way, the check should be made out for... There's a misprint here. They obviously are not intending to sell them for $3,998. Not these plastic birds. No, sir. They've cut the price down to $3.98. $3.98, and they are guaranteed to fly. <laughs> Which is a hell of a lot more than you can guarantee for yourself. I'll tell you that. Very few have ever had any flying... So send your check or money order to 
Write it down. Flying birds. Flying birds. You know how to spell flying and birds. B-U-R-D-S. Flying birds, Department S. All of you know how to spell S. Flying birds, Department S. And that's Post Office Box 199, which was a good year for flying plastic birds. Post Office Box 199, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. The Big Apple. Guaranteed to fly. <clears throat> Brack. Now, uh, speaking of uh, flying, a special announcement here tomorrow. Now, I want all of you to listen carefully. I am in answer to thousands of, uh, well, let's say five letters that came in here. Angry letters uh, from people who want their copy of Wanda Hickey, Night of Golden, Nights of Golden Memories and Other Disasters, autographed for Christmas with all the stuff that the that the uh, publisher made me take out. I'll write in the front of your book and suitable obscenities if you're going to give this gift, you know, the book to somebody for a gift. We will be tomorrow at the Woodbridge, New Jersey Center. Woodbridge, New Jersey. That's Saturday. We'll be there tomorrow between 2 and 5. Saturday, November 27th. And where is the Woodbridge Center? Well, it's a, it's a beautiful story. The Woodbridge Center. Give me a little more of that the lovely Mozart there, please, friends. Yes, the Woodbridge Center nestles in the picturesque area where Routes 1 and 9 meet, like Tristan and Isolde, a great meeting. And there, Routes 1 and 9 have spawned, in a romantic interlude, the Woodbridge Center. In that nights when the sun hangs low over the Woodbridge Center and the soft, drifting clouds of Jersey smog touch the hillside with deep yellow, goat vomit colored radiations. There you'll know that you're in the immediate vicinity of the Woodbridge Center, where we will be tomorrow afternoon between 2 and 5 p.m. <laughs> at Routes 109, the Woodbridge Center, signing copies of Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters. By the way, by the way, we've gotten also a lot of letters for, about an ad that appeared in the Village Voice this past week. A full-page ad. And since we cannot uh, answer letters here, due to the fact that we get so much mail, we get as high as four and five letters a month here. And, uh, you know, that's it's bad enough. I haven't answered my... Well, I listen, I haven't answered a letter to my mother for over two and a half years. Why should I answer yours? I mean, who the hell do you think you are? That's all i got to say. But due to the, all these uh, all these letters that have come in about it, yes, I have a brand new record out. And at long last, uh, uh, you can get Shepard on stereo. You can slap him on any time you want. Turn up the gain and break your lease. And uh, <laughs> it's on Mercury. And the title of the record is The, the uh, Declassified Gene Shepard. Let's say a little put echo on that there. The Declassified Gene Shepard. Subtitle. The people have a right to know. It's the stuff I can't say on the radio. It's now on LP. It's going to land me in trouble. You want to hear? You've seen it, haven't you, Marty? Here it is. You want one? There, all my friends want something free. Here, it, uh, yeah. I'll get, hello, 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 test. <laughs> oh, uh, you, you'll get one. <laughs> hear what the engineer can do. I yeah. Next thing you know, you'll put on a retrospective appreciation of old John Gambling tapes, and then where would we be? All those Montevani records. But uh, we will also sign copies of the record tomorrow at uh, Woodbridge Center. They'll have some there. And, and uh, 
And if you if you have a you know a record store around your area, it's on Mercury. Mercury. Yeah, that's official, man. The Winged God. You know who Mercury was, don't you? Yeah. You know what happened to him. That's right. You don't know what happened to Mercury in the end? <laughs> well, this uh, this record is liable to be Mercury's comeuppance. Every company has one great fiasco that it gets involved with. Oh, no, not this record. Of course not. No, 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 no. It's those last 422 they brought out that have sunk them. That's right. That's right. Nothing like that. That Charlie Cash's grandmother plays the harmonica. That was a great record. Who is he? Now, just a moment. Just a moment. Don't you know who Charlie Cash is? That's Johnny Cash's unsuccessful brother. Runs a shell station in Pitcairn, Pennsylvania. Uh, hello. Yes. Yeah, Mercury recorded that great hit song, Who's Gonna Feed Them Hogs? Uh, who recorded uh, the uh, interstate is coming through my outhouse blues? Who is that? Well, who is the singer? Dave Dudley? Oh, no, I can't. Uh, no, that was not Robert Goulet who sang that. He doesn't know about outhouse. He never heard of him. Yeah, we're getting the dope here. Who's saying uh, the interstate is coming through my outhouse blues? Oh, yeah, Billy Ed Wheeler, of course. That's right. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, uh, nevertheless, though, we have a salute here tonight I would like to lay on you. I just received a note that, uh, yeah, it's a UP note here, United Press. It says that uh, they they made this uh, beautiful, uh, this beautiful... <laughs> In, in Africa, in Angola, or someplace, they made this beautiful uh, uh, concrete, a very beautiful concrete patio for the city hall. And uh, it was beautiful, you know. It was a very carefully uh, laid down and polished. And there it was, lying wet and shimmering in the sun. And the next morning when they came out to look at it, a hippopotamus had made his footprints in it all the way across it. And I just want to tell you, all hell broke loose. I mean, I thought about that hippo. <laughs> when you think of it, the hippo wandering through the town at night, and he gets all tangled up with the concrete. <laughs> you know, he's sloshing away through there. And the next morning, they got up there, you know, and they took one look at it, and there were these hippo tracks all over the place. And I thought, you give, give that hippo a salute, please, Marty, please. <laughs> Stop it, Marty. I do not like to be laughed at when I'm playing my, my basic instrument. This has killed many an artist in full flight. 
And uh, I'm sorry, because at a very early age, I learned and mastered and became a maestro in the nose flute. As you can see, I play hell out of this thing, right? Well, it is a, it, every time I play this, people just laugh, and, I, and I, it hurts me. It's like, uh, did I ever tell you about Rosella Pullen? Well, Rosella Pullen was in our high school orchestra. And Rosella Pullen, I'm sorry, it was Rosella Jane Pullen, if you want to be formal. And Rosella Pullen took up the cello, and Rosella Pullen had legs that little, looked like little fire plugs with, the, you know, with lady shoes on the bottom of them. And Rosella Pullen, when she played the cello, and she had a fantastic hand with the cello, just was nothing but pure comedy. People sat up and laughed and screamed. And so she took up the English horn. And I don't know whether you've ever seen a short, fat girl with bad skin playing an English horn. Well, all I can say is that if you, you know, it's very hard to keep a straight face. I agree. Certain instruments, just by their very nature, subject the players of those instruments to unbridled, ribald laughter. And it's a shame. I mean, the only way that the, that the, what's his name, Pablo Casal gets by with playing a cello, which makes people look very silly when they're playing it, is that he's bald, he's a Spaniard, he's very old, and lives in Puerto Rico. Otherwise, he'd never get away with it. Well, you, you, you heard about that cello player that always plays a topless, right? It's the only way she can get away with it, and people are not looking at the cello, the way her knees spread out there like that. And she looks silly, you know, like she's laying an egg. So she wears a topless and does all right. Now, if you people will please keep a straight face, I will show you how to play the nose flute. <coughs> all right, let's get it going. <coughs> all right, eins, zwei, zwei, please, if you will. This is the introduction. Uh, the lead artist does not play the introduction. Let him play the introduction. All right, man, let's hear it. continue to hurl pearls before swine. And you know, I've never yet met a swine who could tell a pearl from a grapefruit. Do you have on that uh, side there Limehouse Blues, please? Uh, same side, Limehouse Blues, please. Now, the reason that I have a great uh, feeling of affinity for that hippopotamus is because one night I did something which I am... Well, I'd like to be frank with you. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't look back on it now with, uh, with regret. There's, there's a moment when man has to do it, has, has to stand out and really do it. You know, you're look, you're right now at this minute. You're looking at a guy 
who in his time has broken his share of insulators with a BB gun, with a 22, with a slingshot. Even with, in fact, one time there was an insulator that I shot at with every damn thing I could get. Every every artillery I could, you know, you know what insulators are up on the top there, right? Have you ever taken a pot shot at one? You haven't. I do not understand the people who, in the early age, were influenced so heavily by Pat Boone that ever since that day, you know, they're straight, man. Straight arrows. Absolutely. First time I heard Pat Boone, I thought I was being put on. Second time I heard him, I knew it. And uh, ever since that time, I've uh, not been able to keep a straight face when Robert Goulet attempts to sing the Star Spangled Banner and keeps forgetting the second chorus. Well, you can't blame him. You know, he's a Bulgarian. They, they, they're like that. Can't remember their own national anthem. Well, Goulet is his actual name. Gouleta, Goletissimo, Galatitia. That's where his name comes from. It's been um, anglicized into Goulet. Maria, 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 Maria. la de 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 la da 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 de certain circles where that passes for culture. It's hard to believe it, but there are circles where it does. I forgot my accordion. Left it on the corner of 23rd and 7th Avenue. And uh, anybody find an accordion on the corner of 23rd and 7th Avenue, it's mine. It's in a big case with sequins on the side. It has old Shep and blue sequins all over it. I was on my way to Lincoln Center going to do this one-man concert, so I forgot my accordion and figured, well, what the hell, people. You know, I mean, you, you can't continue to throw pearls before swine all your life. You just can't. No, no, you just can't. You can't. That Now, a swine is different from a pig. Much different. For one thing, they, they have bad table habits. And, uh, yeah, you know, you heard the expression, schweinhund. You haven't? Well, I thought we were going to include that in this semester, but since nobody here seems to understand more these esoteric German terms, which I learned from reading G8 and his battle aces, Jarvol, they always would say, Verdammt Schweinhund. That was, uh, what, well, they said that all the time. And uh, I tried it one time in fourth grade on Miss Robinette. You know, she said, uh, she passed back the test papers and I have a terrible moment you know because you know when you're when you're in the end of the, the alphabet you know my name begins with an s and I can remember sitting in the back of every room I was ever in in my life you know they seat you alphabetically and I was sitting back there with Helen Weathers and Chester Wisniewski and, you know all we had this little intellectual uh, alphabetical ghetto sitting in the back there and you know because we couldn't hear I went all through my first uh, eight years of school I couldn't hear the teacher couldn't see the board so after a while you fake everything you just you know just fake it and uh sitting behind me you know it's very terrible uh, yes i'm in the last part of the alphabet was Zinsmeister. i mean he was in the back of every line and uh the only way he got through school was with those beads he's catholic and uh 
late in the afternoon when it was really getting tough. We were about to have an exam. Zinsmeister had been faking it all the time. He couldn't see. He couldn't even see. Not, he, not only could he not see what was on the board from where he sat, you couldn't see the board. Because it was so far away, he just saw this blue haze up there. And so uh, he, tr he got through by, by uh, miraculous intervention. And uh, for those of you who are out there curious about this technique he evolved, he, it's now available in the textbook and comes with colored diagrams. Get through school by miraculous intervention. Get God on your side. And uh, by George, well, you've seen fighters, haven't you? you saw, I, the other night I was watching on, on the, a rerun of a fight. Uh, it a, well, it was a fight. They said it was a fight anyway. And, and these two guys, one guy was in the white trunks, another guy was in purple trunks. And uh, they came, both came in a ring, and they both crossed themselves. I saw it was very significant. And both looked up at the, at heaven, at the heaven, you know, before the fight, and I could see their lips moving. And with that, they charged out in the ring, and the guy in the white trunks hit the guy in the purple trunks upside the chops. Such a fantastic shot. And the guy with the, with the purple trunks fell down. His head bounced off the, off the canvas. And he got up, you know, and he staggered around. His legs were made out of spaghetti, limp spaghetti. And he staggered around. Well, the guy in the white trunks went after him again. He hit another shot in the kidneys. And you could just see kidney, like that he went, you know. And you could see his ears bulge out, you know. And he, he, yeah, it's terrible, you know. All his guts were pounded up into his head, you know. And he just fell over sideways. And then uh, they carried him out. That was the end of it. Well, then uh, ten minutes later, they're in the dressing room. You might have seen this on TV. They're in the dressing room. And they asked this fighter in the white trunks, how come you won? He says, well, because... Well, I, I live a clean life, and I, I believe in, in, the, in the Lord, and I uh, prayed for the Lord to give me a victory. Well, then they showed the guy in the other room there, see? He's laying stretched out on the table. I got a sponge up both noses, you know. He had two noses after that fight. Yeah, well, he did. It was a fantastic sight. And he had a sponge up both of them, and the guy says, How come you lost? He said, Oh, I don't know. And, uh, and uh, you could see he was very disappointed because he, too, had asked the Lord to help him. And here he got the shot in the nose. There you see the beginning of a true disbeliever. I mean, uh, I mean, if you've got a pretty good right hook, it's easy to believe in the Lord. But on the other hand, if, if you've got bad footwork and your reflexes ain't what they should be, you better have something else, like, you know, four pounds of nails or something in your glove. If, you're gonna, if you think that the, those beads are going to do it, I mean, I'm not so sure. Well, Zinsmeister ever proved that it's possible. Wait, we're getting a note here from the front office. What a Christmas fund. Thank you, dear. We will do that. Uh, here's your chance to be Santa Claus. <laughs> this holiday season to thousands of kids. And this is a good charity. You'll know that uh, a little bright-eyed child is also opening his gift. And you will be responsible for it. And in your heart, you'll know that you really were a Santa Claus if you send some dough to WOR Children's Christmas Fund, Box 710, Times Square Station, New York, 136, 10036. Yes, tonight, somewhere, there's a hippo who's walking around with concrete goloshes on. Because you don't get rid of that concrete so easy after you've walked through the concrete for 400 yards. And uh, he's walking around, and he's got these big, heavy feet. And uh, can you imagine the excitement when he goes down into the river, and he just keeps going down to the bottom, and he can't figure out what the hell's happening. He used to work pretty good, you know. He's swimming like that. Well, of course, the, the concrete goulash. Have you ever heard of a guy getting fitted for a set of concrete goulashes? It's an old mafia trick. It is. And uh, no mafia? There is no mafia. I'm sorry. No mafia. Okay. I agree. 
But, uh, <laughs> no mafia. Okay. We just got the word there is none. Well, of course, uh, I've also received the word. I received a word this morning from John Wingate. He says he is, after a long thought, he finally says he now believes that a lot of those guys were right. They used to argue with Galileo and people like that. The earth is flat. No, he said that. No, John said you never can tell. He says, they, 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 I'm not convinced any longer after what happened to me over the weekend. I said, what happened? This is none of your business. So I don't know what happened that convinced John that the, word, the earth is, is, is flat. I will say this, though. The minute I read about that hippo, Marty, the minute I read about him, I felt an affinity. Because just one year ago, roughly this month, I revisited the town where I festered as a youth. And late one night, I went out with a flashlight, drove my car around the back, and there it is. My initials and a Kabbalistic erotic symbol, which I placed in concrete, low these many centuries ago, and scurried away into the night. Well, luckily, there's one good thing about having the initials J.S. 12,932,000,000 people also have that initial. After all, John Smith, Jonathan Schmidlap, all those people with names, common names like that. And J.S. is a very common name. And they laid a big concrete driveway back of our school one night. And I was leaving school, going home, and I saw that beautiful concrete. There's something about, something about virgin concrete. It's like Mount Everest. Some are driven to climb Mount Everest. Others are driven to leave forever their fingerprints upon the vast concrete driveway of time. <laughs> forever. Well, you know, as a kid, I got fascinated with fossils. You know what is it, a fossil? I mean, apart from the people who are running the English department in your school, I'm talking about, you know, fossil fossils. You know, like a ladybug that's been caught in the coal there, right, 20 billion years ago. Well, for all the ladies, little, little, give me a little of that beautiful Mozart. Tonight we would like to take this opportunity as part of our cultural service on this concerned radio station to salute fossils wherever they may be, human or otherwise, living or dead, the fossil which goes through existence unloved, unsung, unappreciated except by us aficionado few. And so tonight we salute the fossil. And I left my fingerprints. In fact, I left a Kabbalistic erotic sign for all time, buried in the concrete of a driveway back of a famous school in the Midwest. And my initials are still there. Still there, generation marches past generation. Endless leaves fall off the endless trees of existence and time. And my Kabbalistic erotic symbol remains, just like on the walls of old Pompeii. Yep, <laughs> that's right. I don't blame you for getting excited, friend. Thank you. There's just no way to beat it. Now, I'd like to repeat, I will be tomorrow at the Woodbridge, New Jersey Center. That's at Routes 1 and 9. We will be signing Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories, Saturday from 2 to 5 at Woodbridge. Strumming upon the old Jew's harp, 
plucking upon the old kazoo tree. <laughs> and also, we will sign copies of Shepard's new side-splitting stereophonic LP entitled The Declassified Gene Shepard, The People Have a Right to Know, which was put onto wax by the Mercury people in a moment of total irresponsibility. So we will see you tomorrow at the Woodbridge Center. And in the meantime, uh, in the meantime, uh, 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 well, uh, in the meantime, why don't you make a few cabalistic erotic signs to your neighbors? I mean, signal across the great gulf and the chasm of man's loneliness. Make an erotic symbol out of your window right now, wherever you might be. Tell people that a live, living human being is existing there. A human cake of yeast who feels passions flowing through his great veins. <laughs> yeah. All right, sir. This, uh, this was uh, produced by Rune Arledge. Special commentary by Howard Costell. And Frank Gifford was the associate producer on this program. This program was dedicated to Liverlips Jones, wherever he might be. Yeah, this is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.